Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Gordon tells us about an unwelcome encounter with his dead father-in-law, and Lori tells us about a dead logger who looked for his wife and daughter for years after his death until she helped him find peace. Then there's Victoria, who shares her story of a long-dead pig, Edna June, who still watches over her ranch. Did you know a cafe in Anchorage, Alaska is haunted by the ghost of a woman who was blown to bits by a hired hitman? Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. These are just a few of the stories you will hear, and these stories just keep coming. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host of Real Ghost Chatter. In this episode, part two of Mark Spencer's interview, Mark tells us more about his experience in the famously haunted Allen House in Monticello, Arkansas. As you may remember, Mark is Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at the University of Arkansas at Monticello. He and his family live in the famously haunted Allen House there in Monticello, Arkansas. His book, A Haunted Love Story, The Ghosts of the Allen House, led to the episodes of the TV shows A Haunting, Paranormal Witness, My Ghost Story, Ghost Brothers, and Ghost Hunters. Mark is also the author of several novels and short stories. He has received the Faulkner Award and several additional awards for his novels and short fiction. At the end of this broadcast, Mark will share where you can find his works. In August of 2009, I woke up one Saturday morning and I had a compulsion to go to the attic. We had lived in the house for a couple of years at that point. I, I had scoured the attic when we first moved in. I found all sorts of wonderful little historical artifacts, things you know that had belonged to the Allen family over a hundred years ago. And I was just delighted with the things I'd found, but I thought that I'd found everything that was fun in the attic. But this Saturday morning I woke up and I was, I, I really felt the compulsion to go to the attic. And it was like a voice in my head telling me that if I went to the attic, I was going to find something. And I thought, well, no, I'm not going to find anything. It's, it's August, it's really hot. <laughs> I don't want to go to the attic. Uh, I'll just dirty. Uh, I have other things to do. And um, I resisted the temptation and compulsion. And I went downstairs and ate breakfast. And all through breakfast, I kept having this nagging feeling that I needed to go to the attic. And so after I, I finished breakfast, I grabbed the flashlight and I went up to the attic. I, and I didn't wander around the attic at all. I walked straight over to the edge of the entrance to the south turret room. It's a round room on the on the south side of the house. Mm-hmm. And I and I stood there at the edge of that. And it's an attic floor, so there are little openings all around the, the attic, little right. openings in the floor. 
because mm-hmm. cool. it's not a complete floor. And and I stood there to the side of the entrance to the to the turret room, looking down at an opening that was a couple inches wide. And and I had glanced down at that opening many times and had never turned it in, so I didn't think anything about it. But I found myself standing there looking down at this opening in the floor. And it was like that voice in my head again speaking to me and saying, take a closer look. And so I got down on my knees and <laughs> shot my flashlight into the, the opening in the floor. And at first I didn't see anything. And then finally I got a glimpse of a round piece of paper. And my immediate thought was, that it was the color of butcher paper. It was that dark now. Right. And I thought, well, probably news, you know, old news. Yeah, I found lots of newspapers from the 1920s, 30s in the attic. And, they, and, and over time, the paper had turned really dark gray. I thought, mm-hmm. then I was just a newspaper. But uh, I reached in to the open and got a couple of fingers on the on the scrap of paper, what I thought was going to be a scrap of paper, and I pulled it out, and to my surprise, it was an envelope. It was a really good-sized old brown envelope, and I opened the flap of the envelope, and inside were a bunch of smaller envelopes that were white, mm. and they had stamps on them from 1948, and they were addressed to Waddell Allen, or Waddell Allen on a team. And so I opened up the top of one of the water doors and pulled out a letter and very nice stationery and the salutation was serious and it was a letter to Lel and it was signed love and then under the word love was just the initial P, printed P written in ink. And I realized that this was a love letter written to Liddell Allen about two months before she committed suicide. I thought I was dreaming. I literally thought I was dreaming. Oh, I bet. Wow. And it's the only time in my life I've had this experience. Because everybody has dreams in which they dream about waking up. And they're sure that they're awake. But the real dream, this was the opposite of that. Awake. (laughs) But I thought for sure I had to be dreaming. (laughs) Um, And so it took me a moment to realize that I really was awake. And, and when I came to that decision that I really was awake, I ran downstairs, I got a call hammer, and I ran back downstairs. And, and on the way, Rebecca saw me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. And then I, I went back know. up and I, and I pulled off the floorboard in the attic. Mm-hmm. And there under the floorboard were 82 letters oh my. from 1948. And I think four different envelopes. And most of the letters were from about 70 or, or 68, 69 of the letters. I can't remember the exact number. From this man named Prentice, and that's the P. Mm-hmm. Prentice Hemingway Savage was his full name. Mm-hmm. Come up with a better name than that for a romance novel, and I can't hear. No kidding. And he was, he was vice president of Texaco Oil. He'd grown up in Monticello, and so he's Monticello Expansion. And, and most of the letters, were, were from him and then there were letters from other people there were letters from from women friends of Liddell but these were all letters from 1948 spanned from March of 1948 until December of 1948 and the last one was shortly before Christmas Liddell took Mercury cyanide tablets Christmas night oh. and so 
I found these letters and everybody had always been mystified as to why Liddell had committed suicide. Nobody understood why she committed suicide. Mm -hmm. um, it was a great shock to everybody in the community because Liddell had a reputation for being very cheerful and optimistic. And she was the person that people went to in town when they needed to be cheered up, ironically. And then here she commits suicide and everybody's just totally in shock. And everybody, you know, speculated as to why she might have. And, and there were theories about her suicide. The most compelling, perhaps, was the death of the son, Alan, who died five years prior. But it had been five years. Mm -hmm. and, and all indications were that she, she had coped pretty well with the death of her son. And, you know, people said, well, it's because she got divorced. But she'd been divorced for 20 years. So that's, <laughs> That theory didn't hold much water with me. But with my discovery of those letters, I, I discovered the, the reason for her suicide. She'd been having an affair with this, this man, Prentice, who was married, by the way. Of course, right. Um, and he had promised to leave his wife. And then in December, and, and all year they'd been corresponding, they had spent time together in August. He, um, he was living in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the time. Um, he, he'd grown up in in Monticello and he and Liddell had dated as teenagers and young adults and then he had left Monticello and, and had his career in the oil industry and they hadn't seen each other for 25 years until March 10th of 1948 and he was in town visiting old friends and his elderly mother and they ran into each other and, and when he got back to Minneapolis he wrote Liddell a letter telling her how much he enjoyed seeing her again and she replied right away and thus began their correspondence, which subsequently led to them meeting up in, um, in August and traveling all over Minnesota and Wisconsin and Canada together in his big Cadillac, staying at lodges and hotels and hotels. What? Yes. Yeah, because after all, he was an oil company executive. And so his wife was used to him being gone for stretches of time. And and so by the time he dropped her off at the Milwaukee train station in late August, they were just madly and passionately in love with each other and promising to spend the rest of their lives together. And Liddell returned to Monticello happier than she had been her entire adult life, thinking that she was finally going to be with the man she was meant to be with. And then, you know, and then as things evolved, rest of the summer and into the fall. He had more and more difficulty really trying to work out some sort of divorce deal with his wife. And then, as I said earlier on December, he, he wrote Liddell a, a letter telling him that he wasn't going to be able to leave his wife after all. Oh my gosh. And so I think yeah, clearly that, that was Liddell's motive for the suicide. Oh, sure. Those letters have been there for seven years. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, all those years, letters have been under attic floor. You know, it really makes me wonder whether Liddell kind of chose me. Uh -huh. And and of course, you know, I I already had had a a long career as a as a writer and a, and a certain amount of of success as a writer. You know, I published books and won national awards. And it was odd. I remember when when the lady we bought the house from first showed it to us. At the end of the evening, she said, you know, I never thought I would sell this house, but for some reason, I have this feeling that you're supposed to own it. And I just thought she was, you know, being sentimental or <laughs> something. But, but now I think about that and, 
And I was like, okay, well, yeah, well that was working on her too. <laughs> well, yeah, I think she was. I don't believe in coincidence. And so you ending up at Monticello, in my opinion, there's a lot of reasons you ended up there. And obviously one of them is this. Fine, there's more than one reason I end up in some situation. I don't believe in coincidences anymore. <laughs> Maybe I used to. Well, and another, another, speaking of coincidences and how timing, whatever you want to call it, the day after I discovered the letter, Rebecca and I were on the internet um, researching the different people mentioned in the letters. And there was one person in particular mentioned several times in many of the letters and um, a woman named, named Martha Jones, and this was Liddell's niece. This was the daughter of, of Liddell's sis, younger sister. Hmm. Liddell and Martha had had a, a, a pretty close relationship because Martha's mother had died in 1944, the same year that Liddell's son died. Hmm. And so Liddell had become a sort of surrogate mother to Martha, hmm. and Martha had become a surrogate child to Liddell. And one of the references in the, in the letters was even to Liddell going to Martha's high school graduation up at Memphis. He was 18 years old. And in, in these letters, it was clear that Liddell often went to Memphis to visit uh, Martha. Martha came down to Monticello to visit Aunt Liddell. They, they were very clearly close. Well, what we discovered the, the day after I found the letters was that Martha Jones had just died a couple of days before that. Oh. And she was the last person who had actually known Liddell. The last thing, she was like 80 years old. She was the last person who had had any kind of relationship with Liddell. I talked to elderly people in town who, who remembered when, when Liddell um, died. Some of them claimed that they remember maybe seeing her, but but they were generally small children when when they saw her or met her. They were you know eight nine years old. I I had not spoken with anybody who had actually had any kind of relationship with Liddell who had actually known her. Uh, you got to remember, well, Liddell was born in 1894, so you know, there aren't any people around you know, of her generation. But but Martha had you know been her her niece and they had had this close relationship and they and then with Martha's passing there was no one left who had actually known her mm -hmm. and I think that there's some connection there between her passing and my discovery of the letters when I when I did find them. Oh, there very well could be that makes sense. And then you get you know for you to get that getting up. I mean you got a dream all right, but wow. I would have been wanting to know if I was in a dream when I was up doing that too. <laughs> so, so yeah, it yeah. sounds like it all just came together as one coincidence, but as one big, not coincidence, but yeah. I don't know, it's like a tapestry that just wove its way together. Oh yeah. Definitely. That is so interesting. I really, uh, God, so interesting. I really appreciate all that you've told me today. Have you had any other experiences? Yeah, probably the, of course, discovering the letters was a rather significant experience that I right. count as a paranormal experience. But probably <laughs> a, a just as significant or maybe even more significant than that experience occurred in April of 2014. And I, I remember the, the month and the year pretty clearly because it was just a couple of weeks before the birth of our son, Gatsby. I was, I was walking into the master bedroom 
from the adjoining sitting room. And before I even stepped into the room, I could see Rebecca, my wife, across on the other side of the master bedroom. She had her back to me. She appeared to be looking out one of the windows in the south turret area of the bedroom. I, I remember so distinctly her peach-colored blouse against the sage green drape. And, and I remember distinctly that her long brown hair seemed very shiny. Uh, I couldn't see her face. Uh, what seemed odd was that she had not pulled the drape back. It was like she had her face in the drape. <laughs> like she was looking, maybe looking through the drape. Yeah, she hadn't pulled it back to look through it, but she was looking through it. And I was, and I kept my eyes on her um, as I stepped into the room and I walked across the room. And it's a pretty large room. All the rooms in the house are pretty large. And I came around the, the edge of the bed because she was on the other side of our, our, our big king-sized bed, which we have in that, that south turret area of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I glanced away just for, for a moment as I, I came around the edge of the bed and I glanced back and there she was standing there. I still couldn't see her face, but I got within maybe three feet of her and I opened my mouth <laughs> to, to say, hey honey, what are you doing? And she vanished. Oh my. She just disappeared. All of a sudden, she just wasn't there anymore. And I had wow. been looking at her for, you know, like seven, eight seconds at least, you know, as I, you know, before I even walked into the room and as I walked across the room, came around the end, end of the bed, stepped right close to her, and then all of a sudden, she was just gone. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> a wave of cold air swept over me. Uh and I was standing there covered in goosebumps with my mouth ha- hanging open, staring at nothing. When Rebecca came to the door that I had walked through and she stopped in the doorway and she said, why are you standing in there looking so stupid? <laughs> and, it, and it took me a moment to reply. And finally I said, I'm shivering <laughs> because I really couldn't think of anything else to say at the moment. <laughs> and because that's what I was doing. And I wasn't shivering because I was scared. I was shivering because I was so cold. Yeah, right? yeah. It, and, it, and it wasn't scary. It wasn't anything scary. It was just so awe-inspiring. It was like, wow, I have had you know, a a meeting of sorts with a, a full-bodied apparition. You really did. <laughs> that's I, the second I, one you I had. had <laughs> but, but it looked just like, like Rebecca. Huh. Um, it was one of those doppelganger kinds yeah. of experiences. I have never um, heard anyone talk about doppelganger experiences except in a bad way. And so it's really interesting to listen to you because every time you've seen them, it's been a doppelganger experience. Yeah, my my wife has seen shadow figures. Okay, that's different, yeah. Um, and that's different, yeah. She's seen several shadow figures. I maybe have seen a shadow figure or two, but you know, I'm not sure. Rebecca is definitely sure. And she oh, yeah. has seen shadow figures. We had a um, uh, a junior high school librarian who took a photograph of a shadow figure in her house. Mm-hmm. We have that photograph on display in our dining room now. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and when Ghost Hunters were here um, doing their TV show, they captured on on video a shadow figure. Really? And and they did everything they could to debunk it, but they couldn't. Right. And so that was why that's that's why we were in the fall premiere episode in twenty thirteen. Uh-huh. Because they had actually captured 
a ghost on video. And and Tango, one of the original members of yep. the team, Tango yep. said that he had he had never seen anything before. That the Allen House was the first place where he had actually seen something. And he'd always been jealous of Steve and Jason because they had seen things and mm-hmm. he yeah. hadn't seen anything. But he finally <laughs> got to see something when he came to Allen House. <laughs> That's where I started watching shows was with Ghost Hunters. Oh, gosh, that was years and years ago because they debunked things and they weren't playing that game of, you know, see what we can yeah, do to scare people or whatever. Yeah, there was that one one show that was on, I think it was down in England and and, and they had a psychic on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and the psychic always, you know, communicated with these spirits. And there was always some blonde woman who screamed at everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of them. But that one I always enjoyed it from the very beginning. I'm going to go look up this episode, actually, so I can watch it. It's in 2013 was their premiere episode. I'm pretty sure I can find it if I Google yeah, is our friend. October. Yeah, it was aired in October just before Halloween. Oh, Google is our friend. I can find that. I really appreciate you sharing your stories today. This is amazing to me. This has been a really good talk. Also want you to, before we sign off, to tell us again where we can find your works, your novels and other stories. Um, yeah, you can find my, my novels and my nonfiction novel and my nonfiction book, A Haunted Love Story, Go to the Allen House. I also have Ghost Walking, which is a novel. Uh, a work of fiction set at the house, but, and, but although it's a work of fiction, it contains a lot of historical fact, and it's written from the point of view of Liddell Allen. Oh, wonderful! That I wanted to, I, I wanted to capture the kind of psychological and emotional intimacy that can only be captured in a novel. Mm-hmm. When I wrote a haunted love story, I had to stick to the facts because it was nonfiction. I couldn't make right. any, make anything up. I didn't want to make anything up for that book, but I, I took a you know some creative license with ghost walking. Great. Um, anyway, all, all of my books are, are available all kinds of places. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books A Million, and a lot of brick and mortar books. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm just going to say this is the end and concludes today's podcast. And again, I'm going to thank you, Mark, for taking the time or for sharing such an interesting story with us. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast... I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash mary-ann-poll. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.